Friday lunchtime lectures at the Open Data Institute. Thank you very much. It's great to be here at ODI, uh, particularly as ODI colleagues helped us build this website. Um, so I'm going to give you just a bit of background on the site. I'm going to give you a demonstration of the site itself. And then uh, I was just going to run through some questions that we have in terms of what we do next on the website. So firstly, as Anna said, I'm Zamila. I'm from Cabinet Office, uh, but I'm currently on loan to the LSE, the, at the International Inequality Institute, where I'm a fellow. Uh, and the purpose of this website uh, is that it was commissioned by the Prime Minister in 2016 to become the first government site that contained all data broken down by ethnicity. Now, no site has ever been commissioned before, so there was no blueprint for us to actually look at. No government has ever done this before. So there was no model for us to follow at all. So that meant my team, who are data, digital, and policy experts, had to build a thing from scratch. Uh, which is nice in that it means you can do what you want, uh, but it also means that you have to come up with your own rules and your own principles. So uh, given that it was a world first, we applied only two rules to it. The first was it had to comply with all data and digital standards. That way it would uphold and command trust. And the second is that we would test it extensively, and therefore we would talk to everybody. And that would mean NGOs, academics, think tanks, local government, central government, devolved government, people on the ground, uh, and literally people on the street, members of the public. And so that has allowed us to engage with people in a way that's actually quite new to government in some ways, in that uh, user testing tells you a lot about policy as well. And so I'll, as I go through the site, I'll show you some of the things that we learned. So it's called Ethnicity Facts and Figures. So the name of the project is Race Disparity Audit. But when we looked into this, the truth is that the data we capture is not actually by race, it's by ethnicity. Uh, most people didn't know what the word disparity meant, and it's technically not an audit. So we couldn't call it any of those three words. Uh, but I'm glad that we called it this, because this is the name I liked most, and this is what tested best. Uh, so our homepage literally is eight domains. So bear with me, because I'm used to touchscreen. So as I said, this contains all government data in one place. But in order to put it forward, we had to make sure there was no jargon in it, it was user-friendly, uh, and there were no labels in it that people didn't like. But also that there was no judgment in it, there's no spin on the site. So everything is alphabetized. So a lot of websites, when you get data about inequalities, generally you get crime first, you get education first, etc. But if you want to alphabetize it, that means you neutralize whatever it is people are about to see, which is actually quite helpful. So I'm going to take you through a couple of the pages just to show you what it is we've done on this thing. So we've broken it down, as I said, into these domains. Uh, and on in education, I'm going to give you 7 to 11. So again, when we were testing this, turns out most people don't actually know most things about school grades because either their children are too old and not in school, or they don't have kids. And so giving people grade school years made no sense at all. So therefore, giving people age is actually quite a simple way for them to know what's going on. I'm going to give you reading, writing, maths which is a common denominator for education. Now, this is a typical measure page on our site. So we have hundreds of pages like this. What we recognized, the first thing that was going to be important was to build trust with the user. So our metadata right at the top tells you precisely what the name of that page is, which department published it, when it was published, what geography it covers, and what year in terms of if there's a time series and time span. Therefore, that allows them to at least be able to start to see what it is they're going to see further down the page. Then you have the main facts and figures. People told us, do not try and hide the disparities. Do not try and explain them away, so do not give us any cause and analysis. So on the site so far, you only have charts and commentary. There is no cause analysis of any kind, because people didn't want to see it at first. 
Then we have these three little buttons called things you need to know, data measures, and ethnicity categories. This is the technical information that most academics wanted. It's uh, in terms of legal issues, in terms of uh, categorization issues, etc. Your average user didn't want to see this material, but it was important it had to be on site. So for it to be open data, we have to show it, and then people have to find it. But even the labeling of these categories was actually quite important because we couldn't make them technical, otherwise the non-expert user wouldn't have no idea what to look for. Then we give you the first chart. So everything uh, in terms of visuals is by charts and tables. Why? Because when we did user testing, we spent a lot of money uh, on heat maps and good data viz, including geographic maps, and most people couldn't read them. So this was a shock to us as policy people. We had no idea that these graphs and charts that we've been putting out for years are actually not usable and not data numerate for most people. And so everything on our site is actually charts and tables. So the first is by ethnicity. And you see the range of the disparity right here from Gypsy Roma at 16 percentage points and the Chinese to 77 percentage points. A lot of people have known about this for a long time, the differences between the groups, but most people didn't know it. And so it's important that we give it to them as fresh as we can in these types of categories. Then we give you right here at the bottom the data to download. So again, this data has always been published largely by government. The issue was, where was it published? Was it accessible? And when it was accessible, could it actually be used by people? The truth is, the answer to both those questions is probably not. So being able to download the data is going to be fundamental going forward. So there's the table, as I said. And then we give you the summary. So again, users were keen to see the data for themselves first, and then the summary for them to actually see what it is that that data is telling them specifically. This helps you build trust with the user if you give them the tables first. So the summary right at the top was literally just the main facts. But the charts themselves allow the user to see them for themselves first, and then you give them the visual that you need. Then it is free school meals, because as we know, ethnicity is not the only thing that explains disparities in our society. Socioeconomic realities does too, and therefore we give you what we have the only blunt tool on education, which is free school meals. But you can see here, the disparities between the groups hold. The Chinese group is still the highest achieving group. So it's not free school meals that necessarily that is explaining the disparity for that group. Again, you can download the chart. There is the table and then the summary. Everything on the site is uniform. Now this is the thing I'm most proud of this, of our site. This is the sexiest part of the site. If I want to know where the greatest disparity is in the country, I need to be able to actually hone in on that data. Until now, most of the data has only been national numbers. Ethnic minorities are concentrated across the country in certain parts. Therefore, you probably need to know where they live to find actual the greatest disparities or those disparities. So if I want to know what is the highest achieving area for Asian, I just click on it and it tells me. If I want to know what it is for black, I can click on it and it tells me. So if I'm a public service provider or if I'm a policymaker or if I'm a program provider, I need to actually know where it is I'm going to have the greatest effect and where the greatest disparities are, but also where the lowest disparities are to actually know where to hone services. So this is actually quite a unique tool on the website. And then we have one more and it's by gender. So we've known for some time that girls do better than boys in school. Ethnic minorities are no different. But the scale is actually quite impressive. It's 10 percentage points in certain places in terms of girls better than boys by ethnicity. Again, fundamental. If we want to change these outcomes, we need to know where the numbers are in the first place. These charts allow you to do that. And then the final thing on the page is the full methodology and the data download. So a lot of academics want to go straight to this bit. They want to know how the methodology was compiled. They want to take the entire site away so they can actually manipulate the data and compile their own tables. That's fine. As long as you give them the access to the data, it makes it more accessible for them. So the only thing we don't yet have on our site is a back to top button. So I'm going to have to scroll all the way back just to show you one more page, so bear with me.
we're still building this thing. Uh, it currently contains about 30% of our data, published and unpublished. So the difference between our site and ONS, in addition to just visual, is it contains unpublished data for the first time. Come on. This is why I prefer touchscreen. I can get to the top quicker. OK. So now somebody shout out. What do you want to see? OK. These are your choices. What do you want to see? Again, what do you want to see? Okay. So the visual is the same. Metadata at the top, main facts figures. Here is your disparity. Did you know the numbers before? Okay. So the range is quite significant, actually, by ethnic groups. Uh, the white figure clearly nearly 20 percentage points difference. What is causing this, we don't know. But as a society, we have to find out if we want to actually address this. And HIV numbers, STD numbers actually going up in the UK. So if that is affecting different groups in different ways, we do need to know. Let me see if there's anything else on the page. The summary only. When was it updated? It just got updated. So that is the latest site. OK, so I'm going to show you one more thing. So as I said, we are adding data to this thing all the time. And because we tested it extensively in build, we wanted to learn how people are using it as they go forward. So we have Google Analytics on the site at all times. So we track what the bounce rate is, we track what the highest uh, view numbers are, et cetera, what pages people are looking at, how that changes over time. And we learned a few things on this. We learned that people wanted to know, because we also have an inbox and a search now, People wanted to know when the new planned pages were coming up. So we actually gave them this information now. So we can click on what's coming up in the system. And you can look into what is behind our CMS. So what the team is currently working on, what is going to come online soon, and when. So that allows you to actually see what new data, in case you wanted it, if you're an expert user, if you're an academic of some sort, or an NGO even, you want to know what the data is that's coming through the site, then this allows you to do that. The other things that we learned was that people really wanted to know uh, quite specific details in terms of ethnicity, in terms of population numbers. So when we first published the site, it only had eight domains on it. Uh, six domains, sorry. We added uh, population numbers and uh, workforce because people wanted to look at that in more detail. But the other things that we found is people want to know ethnic classifications, ethnic groups, and geographic data. So I showed you that chart where you can actually go into the data and see which areas are most affected. So this one, people wanted to know literally lower super output area, super output area as well. So by local authority, by education, give me the numbers by ethnic group. So this page allows you to do that. So if I want to know everything I can possibly about education, I can just click into these pages and it tells me. So this allows the expert user not to go through the entire site, but actually go through that actual category in the tab to get through the information. So actually it's quite helpful for expert users in different ways. But what we're still trying to work out as we move forward is what impact is this thing having? So digitizing data has to be a good thing. Opening up the data has to be a good thing. What impact is it having? How are people using it? That is what we now need to learn. Because if we want this to shift the dial, if you want it to improve outcomes, we need to know what effect it's having. So in addition to a hell of a lot of comms, um, we actually have had quite a lot of policies. So you may have seen this one. It's about four weeks ago today. Four weeks ago yesterday, actually. The Prime Minister announced ethnicity pay reporting. We're the first country in the world to announce this. Uh, it follows on the heels of the gender pay reporting, which came out last year. So 
next year there'll be a consultation if it goes forward. We'll be the first government that has to start to require all businesses, all companies to publish their data by ethnicity, what it is they're paying people. In addition, we published uh, pol we announced policies on uh, improving the number of ethnic minorities at senior grades. We know that there are serious disparities there. If you look on the site in terms of workforce, it's visible. Uh, we also announced, again, uh, public procurement. We are going to use the spending power of government to look into how diverse the companies are that we contract with uh, on a sort of consumer basis. But also, there are lots of disparities in the website that affect the white majority population as well. The site is not only about ethnic minorities, it's about all groups in society. So we still need to look into that. Another thing that we found in terms of how people are using our data, so this is Leeds University, uh, has put together lots of infographics using my data. So if I want to know, somebody pick a page, and we'll just open it. Anybody? Education, bottom right. Okay, so he literally took the data off our site and put these visuals together with some summary information. Whether people are using this or not, whether they're finding it helpful or not, I have no idea. There's in very tiny letters my website. Um, but it's a different way of presenting the data. So when we built the site, we tested navigation, we tested presentation, we tested access, and that's all great. But the thing you couldn't test for is how people are going to use it. So this is one of the ways that people are using the site. Other universities we found are putting our site on their reading list, literally sources to read, and it says our website, which is quite helpful. And we are going to NGOs, we're going to local government, and because as part of the build, we engage them just to test the site. So now we keep going back to them to say, tell us how you're using it. And some of them are telling us, you know, look, this is the impact it's having on the NHS, this is the impact it's having on local government. But on a national level, it's going to be hard for us to do that. But we do need to know how it's being measured, how it's being tracked, so we can see if there are changes over time being affected by simply access to data. Or is it this, the conversation is happening and therefore the shift is coming forward? The other thing that we have no idea on is who are the users. So again, we know just through engagement some of the information that people give us. But on a massive scale, a thousand people a day are looking at the site. Who they are, we have no idea. We only know where they live. That's the only thing I can check from my Google Analytics where I can tell where you live and how long you're on the site. But it would be helpful to know who are you, what is it you do with the data, where does it go forward? Is it just for information? Are you actually using it in a different sort of way? So what it would be great to talk about now, because I'm going to stop showing the site unless you want to see any more pages, um, it would be helpful just to learn from you as open data experts what it is that you might use the site for, how it might infiltrate the way that you work, to either to inform your work, to inform pro policies or programs, or just presentation because we've learned a hell of a lot on this site, and we sort of keep going around government departments to explain to people this is what we did, and they keep wanting to share with us how it is they're building their new websites. But I think it's important that we actually start to see the impact of this thing, because it's a valuable resource, provided it gets used, but, and provided you know how it's being used. And it would be great if it's innovative, it could be lazy and you know, everyday things, but we, we are keen to learn how it is that's going forward. So I'll stop there, and hopefully we'll have an interactive discussion. I'm Ganesh. I'm a healthcare professional. So I was quite interested in uh, the health aspect of uh, the open data. Uh, the first, I mean, I have a few questions. One is, uh, how did you manage to collect the information regarding the HIV, for instance? So where, where was the source of um, the data you obtained from? And uh, how did you, because there's a kind of a, a lot of difficulty in accessing um, data from patients because mm -hmm. of the privacy and also because of um, 
the data protection. Mm -hmm. So if you could please tell me how you got hold of those data, and uh, okay. it's quite impressive. Sure, thank you. Okay, so um, we did a stock take of all government data. We have over 300 data sets that can be broken down by ethnicity. So to put that into scale, the census is one data set. So we have 300 of those. So my team, my amazing team, then breaks it down and finds out what is clean, what can be presented, because some of that data you know, was, had missing bits, had gaps, so, and also the quality was not great. So it had to be something that was clean and able to be put on the site. But even when there was minor gaps, we could work with the department just to fill those gaps in, actually. That is still possible. So what happens at that point is we identify the data, we check if it's quality assured. Then my team works with the department to actually pull together the commentary that you then see on site. And then the team puts together the page fully, as you see it here, as part of the CMS. And then that is accessed by the department. And then they decide whether or not it's clean enough to put on live. And there's a process that goes forward for that. But your question was, what was the source? So the source for that is here, Health Outcomes Framework. So there's two ranges there, time period 2009 to 11, and then 2015 to 17. Yeah. But if you want to know more, you just go to the bottom, and you click on download that source. So it gives you the entire file. So it's a massive build in that respect. And part of the thing that was unique for us is, Government departments, while publishing this data, a lot of them hadn't actually looked at it for a long time. Because once you put it out, you're not necessarily the end user, so why would you look at it in the same way? Having to publish it and generate it in this way has forced departments to actually look at this data with fresh eyes. So a great conversation we once had on housing was we were presenting the team with their data, and they were shocked. They had no idea that these were disparities affecting their department. I went, well, why are you shocked? It's your data. We just put it together in the site. But that is probably one of the powers of open data, which is you are presenting it in a way that isn't just you know, numerical build. It's actually more visual. It's more uh, malleable than that. And that allows you to interact with it in a different way, too. So I'm hoping that that will be a conversation that goes forward. Um, but the other point that you asked in terms of anonymity, et cetera, so nothing on our site is discursive. We have, again, those are data standards. You cannot, if you can identify the person, there's something wrong. But so far, we've been live for over a year. We also have... ONS and UK Stats Authority are close people on the team. So we have several members of my team come from ONS, and one person is from UK Stats Authority. So this thing is checked in real time by the data users, um, and it's fine. We haven't yet found any kind of breach or any kind of problem, but it's always a helpful question to ask. Hi. Okay. A follow-up question based on his question. So as you mentioned, the source of all the data here, uh, is that all from UK government or some from the European countries or the US? So no, uh, this is a British government website. So it contains all British government data. Uh, that includes some from the devolved where it is reserved powers, um, where devolved powers have existed. So we have engaged with the devolved governments in hope to get their data on the site in time. Um, but as we were building this, we asked lots of people, what do you want to see? Because as I said, we talked to NGOs, we talked to academics, we talked to open data users. And some people said, for example, we want to see higher education data. Higher education data does not belong to government. It belongs to the higher education, higher education stats authority, ESA. So we've been working with them all year to get their data on the site because it's, we recognize there's a user need. People want to be able to see that data on this site, not on ESA. Um, and so hopefully in the next couple of months, you'll see that data on the site. And that will be the first time that we've expanded 
And so the potential is that we'll see other data on this that is non-government as well. Because the other big ask was a lot of people wanted to see local government data. And again, people didn't know that local government data does not belong to central government. It belongs to local government. But if we want to hone in on disparities, as I showed you on the education chart, you need to know what that data looks like at a very local, very granular level. But if you don't have access to it, how are you going to do it? So one thing that surprised me when we did this is there is no pan-London data. London, our capital, millions of people in it. We have no pan-London data. Why not? It would be probably quite helpful to know what the hell's going on in our capital uh, by all the indicators. And so things like that are also quite important. Not only what data you have, where your data gaps exist, and who's going to actually fill those gaps. So it's, right, as of now, it's an unanswered question. But maybe there's a demand in time. I was just wondering, what are um, some expectations in terms of actions on insights that uh, either have taken place already or that you hope will take place? Okay. Well, firstly, let me ask you, what do you think we should do with it? What do you think is supposedly happening with it? You know, I'm not sure. My background is I provide tools to uh, manage data, and um, it's exactly the, you know, I'm not sure the answer to that. And, uh, and that would help me refine my tools to, to build these uh, okay. actionable insights. Okay. So anyone else, though, have any answers to that in terms of what you think we should do with this or what anyone should do with this? Any suggestions? It's tricky, right? So um, when this was commissioned, uh, the reason it had to look this way, had to be accessible, had to be user-friendly, had to be transparent, was because the prime minister wanted it to be accessible to everybody. She literally said to us, I want the person on the street to be able to access this site. Turns out the person on the street doesn't use data in the way that you think, doesn't read data in the way that you think, and definitely hasn't got time to look at websites, probably. But nevertheless, building it is still valuable because that means you're opening it up to an audience that has never looked at this data. Because one of the challenges for us was government departments said, we already published this. What's the big deal putting it on a website? And we said, yes, you publish it, but people can't find it. So that's A, the reason. And then NGOs and academics said, but we already know all the disparities. So why do you want to do it? We said, you know all the disparities, but most people don't. So again, we were identifying the need by virtue of the gap from who the experts were versus who the majority of the population actually is, and how we currently publish data in its inaccessible forms versus what it is. So I think it's opened a really great question for us, which is, yes, publishing data is a good thing. How you publish it actually fundamentally matters. If most people cannot read the charts, who are you publishing it for? And I hold my hand up. Until we did the data labs, we had no idea most people couldn't read charts. I was sitting behind glass watching people read my heat maps, and they're going, what the hell does that mean? And what are you trying to tell me? And these are smart people. And so we just thought, so everything we've you know, been doing for years and years really cannot be accessed by most people. And so it is important in our democracy that actually data is fundamentally open. So to answer your question, you know, what are the expectations? The overriding expectation is that anyone can access this data. We hope that it will be used to actually improve outcomes, but that is not an overnight thing. These disparities have been around for decades, and new ones are coming online as well. But also, the ethnic minority population, the demographics are changing. So one thing that we always say is one third of kids in school in the UK today are ethnic minority. One quarter of students in university are ethnic minority. So our realities are shifting. That has to mean our disparities will change too, for better or worse. But we need to be able to track it, and then a site like this can help you do that. But what my personal request is, 
is I want digitizing inequalities data to actually improve the outcomes of inequalities. That's why I'm at the LSE. I want to know, we started with ethnicity. We could have started with anything, right? We could have started with disability. We don't have that much data on disability. I'm competent of that. Uh, therefore, that would identify lots of gaps. We could have started with religion. This can potentially cover anything. But the point is, is you have to start somewhere. And ethnicity, 300 data sets, not bad. But provided you now continue to add to it. And so to your point, you know, you can add not just categories, but actually whose data are you covering? So is it government data? Is it local government data? So the UN came and looked at this thing. So the United Nations Rapporteur on Racism loves the website. And she thinks other governments should do the same thing. So it's not just, you know, should we have other governments' website? The question is, should other governments build these kind of websites? Uh, and I think that is the way that this conversation hopefully will go. So it should generate a conversation. It should generate demand. Uh, but hopefully, uh, infuse improved outcomes. Hi. Uh, hi. Yeah, so you just talked about like uh, changing demographics and things change over time, blah, blah, blah. Uh, just from an information kind of uh, structure point, uh, like how are you going to deal with this? Like, is it like yearly these things are going to come out? How are you going to structure that on the website? How can you highlight things changing over time? Like, have you thought about those questions yet? Or great. I know it's just brand new, but this is done. No, no, it's a great question. So let me go back to the dashboards. Pages published this week. So this site is live. So my team are sitting down in cabinet office adding to this thing all the time. So what you see here, this is the read of when we're updating the pages. So data comes out all the time. So keeping this site not only growing but also updated is a massive job. So we engage all government departments in this, and my team update it live. So we update it all the time. Because otherwise, it would, if it would, became outdated, it would become useless and redundant very, very quickly. So the job of updating it, the data right now is machine readable. What we're moving to is sharing the CMS file with departments so they can start to upload it in real time as well. We haven't yet perfected this, so, but we've definitely uh, improved the efficiency time of my team working with the government department and how long it takes to build a page and how long it takes to update a page because we're educating teams across government departments of how to build. So again, it's important that it is updated as quickly as possible because otherwise people will then go back to their homepage that they originally got the source from, uh, which is still fine, but we want this thing to actually have a feed that is live and so people can trust it. But we have been updating it ever since we launched it. And so when we had the new policy announcement, uh, what, three, four weeks ago, we updated 40 pages, which is massive for my team. We updated 40 pages in one day, in one week. So that's quite a lot of data. Um, but no, it's a huge ask. And my team right now is 25 people. We used to be about 30, but then the amount of people that we generate across government is massive. So I think that allows you to see the network behind it, um, but, and also how live and how valuable it is. So do see, tell me if you find anything that's out of date, uh, but hopefully you won't. But I think the wider point is uh, time series data, you know, what is changing and what's getting better or worse. So we are now looking into something called relative rates indicators, where we only have last year and this year's data, right? We launched it last year, so it's not yet a big time series. But in time, what you can start to look at is the trends of what is getting better or worse. And that will help you identify which potentially are the disparities that need focusing on for policy impact. And that is then the thread to go with. For now, we've just known how many disparities have been around for how long. And some 
of the education disparities, some of the employment disparities are literally 20 years old. So they are not new and some are changing over time. So let me just show you one of those quickly and you can see what it is I'm saying. But then you have to galvanize the department to say, now you need to move this thing. And that is a much harder task. So let me show you the employment gap and how long it's been around. Here we go. Come on. There we go. Oh, come on. Okay. Keep hanging. So the first chart showed you the employment gap, which is about 10 percentage points between ethnic groups. So here it is, the time series data. So we call this split tables because it's important sometimes in the data to actually separate the ethnic groups so you can see what's really going on. This tells you over this period where we've had a recession, we've had a shock to the economy, where we've had a couple of downturns, how different ethnic groups fare over time. And turns out every ethnic group doesn't fare the same. They have different reactions to economic shocks. So you need to know this if there's another shock coming around the corner, but also how it is people are going to recover in terms of the labor market by different ethnic groups and what the impact is going to be on them. But also just generally what the employment gap has been for different groups over time. So it used to be back in 2001, the gap between ethnic minorities and whites was close to 20 percentage points. It was 17 point something. Right now it's 10. So it's taken 17 years to close seven percentage points. So that gives you an indicator of how long the change is going to be if you don't do anything about it. Uh, and the same for gender as well. We know the gender gap has not shifted too much over time. It's very slow to contract. But then you have shocks in the labor market as well, which affect different groups in different ways. So the, all of these have to be factored in by your economists, by your statisticians, if you want to know how it is you're going to change different ethnic group outcomes. Does that help answer your question? Yeah, great. Perfect. Any other questions? Um, I've got a sort of follow-up question. Sure. It's about the, the data sources themselves. You mentioned that you've got several, well, how many did you say? 300. 300 data sources. Over so, 300. Um, what's the relationship like with them? And how do you, how do you ensure sustainability of those data sources? Um, so the sources are government departments. So it's about relationships with government departments. So as I said, in the beginning, there was a lot of internal skepticism. We already published this stuff. Why do you need it? And why are you wasting my time? Uh, but of course, I mean, it was a government commission, so they knew they had to do it. But we have awakened in them this wonderful energy of actually now getting used to looking at this data. And some departments are better than others. Uh, so the employment department has definitely gone all behind this and said, you know, let's start to really look at this data and how it is going to help us improve efficiencies, improve outcomes. They have a big uh, universal credit program coming online, so it's actually fed in to their time shifts. Um, the Ministry of Justice, as we were starting this project, was just coming to the end of their LAMI review, which was looking into criminal justice for black prisoners. And a whole bunch of disparities were identified by that review. And so the department recognized this isn't actually only about the data. This is about government departments looking at this in a very systematic, very programmatic way. So they have established a governance level inside MOJ to look at all of their programs by ethnicity. And that's just a completely new way of doing business, which is to say, everything has a lens. So let's look at everything through this lens of ethnicity. You're not excluding the white population because it's all ethnic groups. But let's look at, if we do have these disparities, where it is that they're factoring in. So it's a new way of actually starting to have the conversation about where does data factor in? Because most people only actually approach ethnicity data when you're talking about human resources or workforce issues. That's the only time you will hear gender, or you will hear ethnic minorities, or you'll hear LGBT. We are now trying to shift that dial to say it factors into everything you do. 
because ethnic minorities don't just belong in the workforce space, they belong in every spaces, the same as all groups. So it's about shifting that conversation. And not everyone has yet approached it in that way. So different departments will come at it in their own way. But also some departments have no idea what their you know, footprint is. So we've had some conversations, we have no factoring on ethnicity. We definitely probably don't treat anyone differently. Or we're confident of that. We're like, well, have you looked at your data to know? And they were like, well, we don't actually have that much data. So I thought, okay, well, there's this problem. That's probably why you don't know, because you don't actually collect the data in the first place. So it is identifying the gaps as well. So that is going to take a long time to shift. I mean, data sets are very expensive. Collecting data takes time. Updating sources takes time. So it's going to be a very long conversation. The other part of that conversation is the census. The census changes every 10 years. This next census will be the last one in its current form, and then it's going to innovate itself. Um, but lots of people said to us, well, surely, you know, all the new categories are going to update and therefore the site will have to change. We're like, sure, absolutely. We'll wait for the new census. We work with ONS closely. And as the categories change, then we'll know how to do that. But that just gives you an idea of the evol evolution of ethnicity in our society and therefore data will follow. Has it given you any thoughts around what those categories could be? Are you going to feed into that kind of discussion at all? So ONS is an independent body to government, and so it is entirely their choice for how it is they go about this. They have done an extensive consultation for what the new ethnic categories have to be. Uh, we've been involved in that. Lots of groups have actually petitioned us in very helpful ways to say, please make ONS do this, and we say, sorry, with respect, we can't make ONS do that. Um, but the other thing you have to factor into this is numbers, and when is it valuable to add a category, or when is it actually going to do you a disservice? Completely breaking down ethnic groups is useful because it tells you the disparities between different groups. But if those groups are absolutely tiny, is it telling you anything that you didn't know? Or is it going to actually skew your numbers in a different way? And so that is a factor that ONS does have to consider, which is, is giving you a very small population by national picture useful? Or are there other ways to actually capture that data, like local government surveys? And potentially that is a way to fill that gap. Because some groups are so so concentrated in certain parts of the country and only in like three or four parts of the country that national data may not capture them in the same way. So we should recognize that, you know, the census is a very valuable tool, but it's not the only tool that collects our data. So there are other sources that might be more beneficial. Uh, speaking to that, was uh, white Polish or white Central European a possible category with the data that you have now, or do you have to wait for... Uh, so that always comes under white other right now, right? So here we go. You see it there at the bottom. It's quite a big group, yeah? And if you look at it on the chart, you can see the size. So I'm sure it's something that the ONS team will consider. Whether they fall on it, I have no idea in terms of how it comes out. I know that uh, the Gypsy Roma and the Irish Traveller group, that has always you know, been contested by the groups themselves. Do they want to be called that? Should it, some people merge them? Is that helpful or not? What else is in the white other group? And as a society that is shifting in terms of uh, mixed groups, does the other category help you or not? So that is actually a massive question, which thankfully is not up to me to answer. Uh, but I do take the point, which is as society shifts, you know, how granular are you going to get in these numbers? But the Polish group is massive, so it's possible. But we'll wait to 2021 to find out. I think the ONS does tell us soon, though, what the category is going to be. So I'm sure we won't have to wait too long. Thank you. Um, in terms of healthcare, there is a very strong correlation between um, the patient outcomes and ethnic disparities. 
like for example, in the disease you already um, put it on the website, HIV for instance. So my question is, um, uh, I, I know you said um, the information on the website is not audited or you don't audit this information. Say, for example, uh, for HIV, if you go through your data and then we understand um, the reasons behind the ethnic disparities, uh, so it can be cultural, it can be demographics. So if we um, address those issues, which we can obviously find out from uh, the areas where we are focusing on, mm -hmm. and if since um, the biggest advantage of your uh, work is it's a kind of real time. Mm -hmm. Say, for example, uh, two years down the road, mm -hmm if we kind of get this data again and compare um, the disparities or narrowing compared to what it was two years ago, would it be possible to quote your resource as um, one of the evidence for uh, intervention? Is it uh, possible to do that? So that actually is a very complicated question. Um, so firstly, it's not an audit. So just to be clarified, the website is not an audit. Yes, it's, it's, it's just a website. Um, but uh, the correlation between ethnicity and patient outcomes. So if I was trying to find it in organ health, but it's not in there. So I think if I show you the mental health behaviors, we'll get it from there. So just give me a second and I'll bring you up mental health. Here we go. Where are you? I can't see it. Here we go. So we have known for some time that these are the kinds of numbers we're seeing in certain factors of health. And gender split is quite significant here. Is there a correlation between being an ethnic minority group and negative health outcomes? That is too broad a question to actually ask. What you probably can ask are, do certain ethnic groups have very differential outcomes in certain types of healthcare? And mental health is one of those. So certain ethnic groups factor very highly on the mental health ratios that you can see here, the female numbers in the black category, and the mixed numbers as well. What is causing this, we have no idea. As in, we as the team don't know. Uh, in health, we've had meetings and we've talked about this, and we're told that there are many, many factors that have to be considered because you can't necessarily say this is cultural when you don't know if you haven't tested. You can't necessarily say it's language if you actually haven't accessed the thing to know for sure, or if you've never actually asked the group. So organ donation, which I brought up previously, was actually something where people thought for a long time, ethnic minorities are not giving their organs because of religious reasons. We think now, actually, that's not true. There might be other things in play, but we never asked them to actually know for sure. We assumed it. So where health is concerned, Access is a good point, satisfaction is a good point, real disparities across certain indicators like mental health, like organ donation, uh, are going to have to be looked into because the disparity ranges are massive. So it's important to look at it, but we shouldn't yet assume what it is that's causing it. Culture, religion, language, access, trust is also a big one. Uh, what it highlights though is someone's gonna have to do a lot of serious uh, analysis to actually figure this out. So as I said before, the site does not have causal analysis because people didn't want it, not yet. It would take a lot of time to generate that research. That's regression analysis, that's qualitative analysis. You have to actually go down deep into the data. But at least it's highlighting those questions. Um, but we've had health roundtables as part of the project. So in order to build this thing, we also brought together different uh, groups by theme. We did employment roundtables, education roundtables, health roundtables. And in the health roundtable, it was really messy. People wanted tons of information on mental health, 
uh, and we didn't have it in the range that you know they thought we collected it. Same with cancer numbers. They wanted to see those stats too. We do have a hell of a lot, but necessarily not in the way that people think that we collect it. So part of it will have to be educating people on how much we have and what it's telling us versus what it's not telling us and therefore commissioning actual quant analysis. Um, but I think it's going to highlight a lot of disparities that we didn't realize were there. I think that is true. Um, and then it's going to have to have call to action in terms of what you're actually going to do about it. So mental health is one that I personally want to see a lot of movement on, uh, but I know it's not going to be easy because what is causing it, we have no idea. But it's not genetic, we know that. So at least that rules out one thing. But so I'm sorry I didn't answer it fully because yeah, uh, the point is we don't yet have yes. the research. Okay. Um, is there any data of the refugees will be included? No. No. <laughs> Not yet. We don't have migration data in sight yet. You know, I'd like to do some off the beaten path um, analysis on, let's just say, I'm throwing out random examples like mental health versus GDP or climate change and things like that. Mm. Um, so two questions around that. One is, are these disparate data sets available within, um, within the government website? And two, are there initiatives on you, from your team um, for that? Very good question. So what you're asking is, that's called data linking, where you literally map one data set onto another, uh, and you do that through micro-numbers. Uh, we cannot yet do that on the site because the site is literally showing you individual pages. Data linking takes a long time as well. You need uh, serious econometrics on it. Um, but that is the next step. So whether we do it or whether other people will do it, that is yet to be answered. Because as I said, we're still building this thing in current form, you know, in terms of what else is possible. But data linking will help you identify who are the most disadvantaged because no one indicator can answer the entire question for you. So similar to the health thing. No one measure can answer all of your questions. You need to look at health versus poverty versus geography versus gender versus individual ethnic group. And then you start to get a clearer picture of where the disparity is greatest by group, by geography, and by healthcare, for example. Um, but that is not easy to do. And whose job is it to do that is the next question. Is it ours? Is it the ONS? Is it the health service provider or whichever provider in that business? That we don't yet know. But we know it's possible because uh, there's a brilliant economist called Ian Bell, who is now at the ONS. He was previously at the education department. He mapped education data on employment data on tax data to tell you which groups were actually suffering across those indicators in greatest form. And that was actually brilliant stats. And that can help government inform policy quite effectively. Whether that is useful externally, I have no idea provided you publish it, but this is really protected data, and you have to go through, government departments have to sign MOUs to be able to share that data. You might think it's easy, it's not. Sharing one department data to another department data, including tax records, requires MOUs to be able to do it. Um, but then there is also the ADRN, the ADRP, which is owned by ONS, which is the, the source of connecting data, uh, and that is about to get a revamp. So whether it's possible to actually connect through the ONS ADRP is something that actually might be worth looking into. Because I think what is important in our society is what we do with the spend of our data. As in, is it going into R&D? Is it actually going into data linking and helping you hone in on problems? Is it going to identify new problems? Most likely. Um, but yeah, connecting the data is going to tell you a lot more than just doing quant analysis on one page. But then 
the point will have to be you have to then do something with that data. Otherwise, you're just feeding a data machine without informing actions. And that, again, you get the challenge that we have with the site is what are you doing with the numbers? So, yeah. I'm bombarding you with a lot of it's questions. Okay, okay. Uh, so, I mean, um, my next question is, I mean, um, in terms of the data you have in healthcare, is it pan-UK? I mean, you got from the department, I mean, uh, Public Health England, mm -hmm. right? So does it include data from Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, or is it just... Um, Let's look. Every page is different. So this page is England. Right. So my next question is, um, you have a goldmine of data in your hands, which you source from Public Health England. So do you have... See, sitting with this data, do you have any uh, ideas in the future to use these data for artificial intelligence? Is there anything you would be, for example, I mean, if, um, if as a healthcare professional, if you want to look at the data and see uh, where the resources should be pumped in, in a national health service. So as a healthcare professional, I would know what exactly uh, would be the need being the frontline healthcare, not the computer scientists or data collectors. So is it possible in the future to collaborate with you um, to run those kind of projects? Because that will be taking this useful data to the next level, rather than just putting the data on the website, which is quite useful. And uh, I mean, it's the first, uh, as you said. Is there any um, discussions around the, Because artificial intelligence is going to be kind of you know, a major role in healthcare delivery in the future. So is there something you could say about that, please? Um, so the truth is, I don't know. Um, one gap, that, so as we started to, be, so the initial commission for this site was build it, literally get it out and do it thing. So that required data and digital. So my team is policy, but we actually build the strategy and the risks around the site. In the second year, which we just completed, it was data, digital, and policy. And as we were doing it, we realized we never talked to ops, that's frontline people, other than tell us what you might do with it. And you know, your average nurse went, there's nothing I can do with it. What do you want me to do with it? I haven't got time to do anything with it. Uh, but it looks good, and you know, it's nice to have it. Uh, same with local government. They said, look, it looks great, but it's not granular enough, so I can't use it. So who was going to be able to use it was what we started to recognize. So at the sort of meta level, your expert user loved it. Government departments loved it. Uh, devolved governments loved it. But could frontline people actually use it day to day? They actually like the look of it, but the truth is they don't have time to look at websites because the way they operate is not in this kind of form. And so uh, the one government department that is testing something right now is the employment department. So what they've done is, as part of last year's uh, policy announcement, they were charged with identifying the top 20 areas in the country where ethnic minorities faces the greatest employment gap and doing something in those areas. So that is geographic honing in. And they took the data off the site for those 20 areas, packaged it in slide form, added local population numbers again from the site, and local employment data in terms of what companies recruit, what are the highest numbers of companies across sectors. And then they literally handed those packs to those 20 areas and say, okay, here is the data that is relevant for you. Now use that on a day-to-day -day basis. And we're testing this right now in live pilot feed to see how this is changing the way they do their business. Because until that point, job centers, that we task with addressing employment issues, everyone that walks in the door is treated the same. And that's right, because you walk in the door, you're a client for the job center. But should it not matter for them that they should know what the disparities are facing the people in their service? Of course it does. But where are they supposed to get their hands on that data unless you physically give it to them? So what was real for us, we realized job centers feed us this data coming up, but we never feed it back in a different form for them to actually use. 
So they're giving us bean counters, and we're giving them now visual form. But is it going to change the way you do anything? We don't yet know. But that is a real gap that we identify, which is we don't talk to frontline service people. So we call frontline ops. So this is the next feed for the project, which is to say, we need to know how nurses are using it. We need to know how teachers are using it. Because if this employment model works, then hospitals could have this data, schools could have this data, and then you could start honing in on it. In regards to AI, this is still really new in the UK. You know, the capability of AI, we have no idea. There are new institutes being you know, thought up as we speak in terms of what AI could do. Does AI have an ethnicity lens? Bloody better, because we already know that a lot of algorithms have AI issues by ethnicity. Um, but is this kind of site going to be useful? Probably to help you identify what not to do, I imagine. Um, but in terms of going forward, I don't yet know. I think that's a good question, so I'll take that back. I haven't yet got an AI expert on my team. Ah. There you go. There you go. Um, I think, sadly, that's all we have time for. Uh, I don't know if Samina's got any time afterwards for any further questions, but um, sure. we're going to have to wrap up uh, now. But thank you so much for a really enlightening conversation. Um, as I said earlier, Zamila will be on a panel discussing data and diversity at the ODI Summit, which is on the 20th of November. Tickets still available, um, and there's more information on the website. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thanks, folks. You've been listening to a Friday Lunchtime Lecture, brought to you by the Open Data Institute.